0: Hello. Welcome to ATC Office Hours. Doug is just getting ready to join here, so I'm going to welcome him into the show. Doug, I'll activate you to the call. Welcome. Welcome to ATC Office Hours.
1: Great to see you, Micah. Thanks for having me. I invited Hmm. myself, sort of. Oh, he can't hear me? All
0: right. We're having uh, a little bit of a technical issue. I don't hear Doug does doug can you give me a hand signal if you hear me okay so maybe i'm set up okay we will we will get this figured out dr doug soldat you can follow him on twitter at dj soldat he is a professor at the university of wisconsin and we are going to talk about Leaf nutrient analysis and fertilizer recommendations or tissue testing as it's commonly called
1: Can you hear me now Micah?
0: I cannot yet hear you
1: This looks like some folks and
0: bring the chat window up. Oh All right, so um, How about I just uh,
1: how about I exit and then
0: Doug you're okay uh the problem might be on my end and uh there's there are some people in the comments i think those are going to show up on the side pretty soon and they said they can hear doug so jason haynes can hear doug eric johnson can hear doug and yeah every so all right can you guys in the chat you can hear me and then i'll start playing with my settings and see if i can hear anything Uh, let's
1: see. You know what, just to be Mm -hmm. safe, I'm gonna I'm gonna just close out and rejoin.
0: Yeah, I I apologize for the technical problem. Um I'm gonna take myself off of this stream and then reactivate myself. Okay, added myself to the stream, adding Doug back to the stream. I'm I'm afraid this is a problem on my end that I'm not going to know how to solve. Hey, can you you hear me now, Micah? Oh, my. What what is going on? Let me see. I apologize, everybody. You can type some questions questions into the chat, and we can... uh, we can answer them okay hey i think i fixed it i think i fixed it doug good yeah. morning can you, can you hear me i sure can oh it good was, i am so sorry to invite you to be a guest on atc office hours and then to have such a technical difficulty that possibly gave you some worry all right <laughs> nice we are set so doug and i have scheduled this on very short notice um, I, I have a habit of doing these on short notice because it's hard for me to plan the time um, ahead. But what happened last week, uh, the Frankly Speaking podcast by Frank Rossi released a new episode with Doug as the guest. And for some reason, Frank keeps asking about tissue testing. He's, since about 2015 or 2016, I keep it seems like every time I talk with him, he brings it up. And every time he talks with Doug on these podcast episodes, Frank brings it up. And I'm not I'm not sure that Doug or I would want to talk about it that much, but because Frank keeps bringing it up, he there is a difference in the way that we have sometimes approached it. But actually, when we talk about this, we end up uh, agreeing, basically. And I thought, let's talk about this and see see what we're thinking it's it's a fascinating topic
1: yeah definitely and yeah i think that's right i remember we Micah and i like this is our whole relationship is like discussing things and talking about it from different sides so we you know we went to grad school together in what was that 2004 or five so Micah worked for frank and i worked for marty petrovic and we talked about potassium and soil testing and tissue testing all the time so yeah, it's fun. I think, you know, and I think probably the reason Frank asked about it is because we do give him different answers and he's not sure what to think about it. So, um, but yeah, I guess I'm going to, I'm going to make the case why I think it's useful. Cause I know, I know you, if you, and I don't want to put words in your mouth you can respond to this, but I think your, your angle is like to turf managers out there listening is just don't do it. It's probably not something that's valuable. And I, and my take would be, I think you I think you probably should. Um, and my, my argument for this is not that there is a number that, that you should be striving to, but you know, I think both of us are really strongly interested in database turf management. And so I think of tissue testing is just another way, an- another way that you can make a decision. So let's say if I, if I tissue test my bentgrass greens, spring, summer, and fall, for five years then i have 15 measurements and let's say in year six something's really weird i can do a tissue test and if if whatever if the parameters fall within that range that i've now built up uh presumably te- i'm talking about testing good quality turf middle of the spring middle of the summer middle of fall um that can help me maybe rule out something as uh as being a problem or not whereas if i have a problem and then I tissue test for it. I don't know what those numbers mean. And chances are some of them might be far above what a textbook might say, and some might be well below it. So I think the value I see in tissue testing, and then we can talk about some research results and stuff later, is just building up. Like, you know, I think I like Travis Shaddock's uh, analogy of a blood pressure measurement. If you have a long term history of blood pressure measurements, if something's wrong with you, take your blood pressure, if your blood pressure is normal that rules out some things. Or if it's way outside of the normal range, then you can can maybe do some action that would make sense. That's my opening argument.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for explaining that so well. And that is um, a little bit different than the way that I would think of it. We have, um, I'm just looking at the chat. Uh, Welcome, Thibaut from France, Randy from Bulgaria, Frederick from Sweden, Bupendra from India, we have people from all over the world. Awesome. So thank you all for joining us. We'll check in with I think Doug and I want to talk about this. Um, and I'm not sure how much there's going to be questions from the chat and uh, how much that might distract or, or just keep taking us offline. So I think we'll just see how it goes. But we're happy to answer questions also. Um, although I don't know if we'll do it exactly in real time. We may pause sometimes to come back and look at this. So what I hear you saying is uh, basically if turfgrass managers systematically measure spring, summer, autumn, for example, in, in a grass type of climate and uh, where you have a winter, so you maybe don't s- sample in the winter, then you establish your own normal... Ranges, so it's basically like doing some site-specific research. I, I, or or a site-specific data uh, collection. The site-specific part I like. Um, I I tend to try not to encourage superintendents to do too much of their own research like that because there's a problem i think with tissue testing and that we assume that a change in numbers is correlated with a change in turf performance and i think it's very easy to get confused about that when it may not be that the change in leaf nutrient content is is related to turf performance so i feel like there and this might surprise some people that there is basically no data about this about normal leaf nutrient levels if in in the big picture, if so, so Doug is saying, figure it out for yourself. That's, that's what I'm hearing, which is, that's what I'm doing for, for my research. I just don't know that we should say that to 30,000 turf grass managers around the world to say, figure it out for yourself. When I think there might be some, uh, it's difficult to interpret those data. So I prefer to keep tissue testing more as a, as a research thing. And I just don't see the value because let's say each one of those tests costs $30. Um, so you're getting like, if you, if you do a, a proper leaf tissue analysis, testing for macronutrients, secondary nutrients, micronutrients, the retail price is going to be twenty five thirty dollars and then if if you're paying and getting some consulting fees on top of that, it will be more expensive but the the laboratory price generally is is in that range, so that's about a hundred dollars a year and so then that's five hundred dollars over five years for most golf courses that's that's affordable that's um that's not a huge amount of money. I, I'm just not sure that after five years, when something goes weird with the grass in May of the sixth year, and now we grab a tissue sample and the numbers change, I don't know that, that we can actually be sure that the five years of data from before are actually correlated to what we're seeing or are, you know, cause and effect, that kind of thing. I just think with tissue testing, it's tricky and because i'm so concerned about that i mean i love the numbers and i i do this myself and i think for if if you're curious about this as a turfgrass manager go ahead and do like doug says but from my perspective i don't want to recommend that to everybody as this is the standard practice for how we should do tissue testing because i think it ends up with a lot of data that is meaningless
1: yeah that's yeah I I get I get I get that perspective a hundred percent and it's not that different than how I feel about soil testing like what you said like um when I talk about soil testing I'm usually trying to show people that it doesn't matter as much as you think so you know if I if I showed up, up at a golf course to to consult or just to talk about fertility planning uh or or just You know agronomics soil testing is usually like the last thing i care about it's not i don't show up and say show me your soil test let's go over these because in my experience the nutrient deficiencies nutrient levels are almost never uh influencing the the quality of of, of the it's about top dressing it's about how the grass is being mowed it's soil organic matter content it's nitrogen uh, pgrs but it's not like, I don't care what your calcium and magnesium levels are. I don't care what your potassium levels in your soil are. I don't care what your phosphorus levels in your soil are. Those things are overmanaged. And they're overmanaged because of what you just said is when people get a number, they feel like they need to do something about it. So, what I'm advocating for, and I think what you understand, and like we always joke, like, you know, we sound like we're arguing, we're kind of on the same page, is that, uh, you sh- i think you should be collecting data and not doing anything about it right because it takes time to build up a database so you know like the mlsn i don't can i share a screen on this thing
0: you sure can uh you should see a up arrow in the the little things down the little icons below uh, this window yeah i got it okay so you can share your screen and then what i can do um is I'm the one that controls whether it activates and shows up here or not. Okay, so I can activate it now and it will show. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, let me let me get rid of my caption and make the screen a little bit better and a little bit cleaner. There's Doug's screen. and cool. Where should I pop us over? No, that's – oh, this will be better. This will be better. There we go. Oh. Okay no there we go okay
1: nice all right so mlsn uh, absolutely brilliant concept um in the mlsn number is uh,
0: oh doug let me let me just mention one thing um before so we're sharing the screen some people are probably going to listen to this as a podcast yeah so so when we do this please describe the chart in a way that somebody can visualize it in their head. If in case they're, they're listening to this as the podcast. Yeah. Thank you.
1: hundred percent. So if you think uh, this is a, this, I don't know how many samples here, maybe a hundred from they're taken from a Wisconsin research green bent grass. And, um, you it's a, it's like every sample has a, a malic three soil potassium level and then a tissue potassium level from that from that same day when that soil sample is pulled, and so if you're listening, it's a Scott, it's a shotgun scatter pattern. It's just a round blob, and on the graph, I, I highlighted when I made this graph, the MLSN was I think 37 parts per million, and now it might be up to 42, um, because the MLSN is a statistical uh, representation. It's a number that is uh, based on a you know, a data set of good performing turf, right? So, so the proposal for, uh, you know, Micah just said that we don't have a lot of good data on what tissue thresholds are, and I do agree with that um, because they're going to be specific for each grass and and uh, maybe root zone. So it's it, when Micah said you have to do your own individual research, I I do agree with that. It, Golf course A is going to be different golf course B. But you could imagine uh, setting your own sort of tissue MLSN uh, using the same concept. So you take only tissue from good performing grass. And as you build up a a data set, you can then adjust your slider to represent the 10% uh, value. So if you're above that level, 90% of your samples in your database are um are above it so you know again i don't think that that there is levels that should be chased but then it gives people a, a degree of confidence in interpreting those numbers but it only comes with building up a large database right so the thing i like about mlsn is it's a backward looking uh threshold you have thousands of samples and you're basing that number on that so enable in order to to understand tissue testing, you you have to accumulate samples. And the only way you do that is by being consistent. And like I'm recommending spring, summer, fall. uh, But obviously you can you can choose to do it as little or as as often as you like. The key, though, I think the thing we both agree on is don't do anything about it. You know, and you probably shouldn't be doing anything about your your soil (laughs) test interpretations either. Well, Um,
0: yeah, so yeah, Doug and I, uh, it seems like we might disagree, but we actually, we actually kind of agree, but we phrase it differently. Um, I just, I always want to simplify. Okay, so for me, um, I think if you're doing research and not doing anything about it, then to me that was a waste of time, money, and energy. Okay, so it's it's interesting. And like do it if that's your hobby. But I'm trying to say, what should we recommend to every... Let's just confine to golf courses, okay? So what should we recommend to every golf course superintendent in the world? How should you approach tissue testing? And um, for me, I just say, don't. Don't do it, okay? And you're saying, spend the money on it, do the research, but don't take action. So for me, I'm like, isn't it better to not spend the money?
1: So shouldn't, you know, soil moisture probes are expensive. They're 1200 bucks. Why do we want to get three or four soil moisture probes when I can't tell a golf course what the right threshold is? The golf course has to do their own research, stick the probe in the ground and figure out what ranges they like.
0: Um, well, that's assume that, that's, a, that's making an assumption about tissue testing that it, actually is going to be able to be modified like that, that it's actually related where with like turf that's dry. So here's, here's where I think we're kind of approaching this differently and that we're like doing this live conversation that we haven't had before. So we're trying to read each other's minds in, in a way, but I'm and we'll, we'll, interlink this with soil testing too. I like to do soil testing not to interpret the results and, and and find out how bad our calcium is and what we need to do to fix it. I'm using soil testing as a way to decide how much fertilizer I should apply. Mm-hmm. And in general, I get this... In, and the most important nutrient we apply is nitrogen. That's very site-specific. And then we can decide, do we need to apply phosphorus or not? And if we're low in phosphorus, we can go even lower than the minimum guideline, but we, at least we're aware that we might have a deficiency pop up. Same thing with potassium. And for the other elements, we pretty much ignore it, but we could see if something was abnormal. Okay. But I think that is useful because there are definitely cases. If, if if I go to Singapore, for example, the grass is growing 12 months a year. The nitrogen application rate might be 35, 40 grams, sometimes more, right? Some, some people put 60 grams of nitrogen, which is 12 pounds of nitrogen per 1,000 square feet. So if you can imagine, Doug, what the demand for phosphorus and potassium is, and, and even for calcium and magnesium, when you're growing that much grass— And you're putting that much nitrogen rate. I, when you start getting into those kind of conditions, I really like to know, like I think the soil test is useful because we often do have to apply phosphorus because it depletes quickly Um, because you're growing so much grass, the grass uses it. And, and I just think it makes sense to know what's in the soil and Then all the grass response, all the grass quality, everything is about how much fertilizer we apply. It's not so much about what's in the soil. It's about how much nitrogen we apply. But we can tell if the soil has enough phosphorus and has enough potassium, then you just put nitrogen and everything works perfect. Mm -hmm. But we don't know that unless we soil test. You've mentioned sometimes, well, we could just skip soil testing, too. I think that works in soils, not so much in in sands especially young sands and it when you start getting into areas with longer growing seasons and more nutrient use i think it's riskier to to just say let's just fly blind without knowing what's in the soil so that's kind of how i'm approaching tissue te- uh, sorry soil testing if that makes sense and then for me i don't think we need to go beyond that as far as nutrient management goes, like keep track of exactly what you're applying, keep track of how much the grass is growing, keep track and then keep track of how the nutrients change in the soil. And I don't, I don't see a need for tissue testing on top of that. I, to me that it just confuses matters because if you follow that approach, you've, you're guaranteed you're going to have enough nutrients, right? And so.
1: Go ahead. Finish your thought
0: yeah so i mean that's just where i i i'm coming from with this and and oh so the one additional thought is if you have a little bit of extra money and and i am going to answer some of these questions in the chat we're going to take a break and just go through those but um so thanks everybody for these excellent comments the um if you have a little bit of extra money and you're interested in it and you want to do this kind of research, go for it. I, but, but I'm just not I'm not seeing where a value is for the money that, that it's even necessary to do mm-hmm. beyond the approach that I take with fertilizer application and checking that with soil tests.
1: Right. Yeah, I get that, and I I don't disagree with. I think you know we're we're just approaching it at two different levels. I think. I guess my criticism of, of your method would be that I don't see how we improve after that. Like, I feel like it's like, that's the end um, because there's no room for perhaps there is, there are optimum tissue levels for certain performance standards. And I'll give an you have to do a lot of research and it takes time. And a lot of this information does not exist yet, but I'll use like the Rutgers um, research on annual bluegrass and potassium as an example. The they identified that above two percent potassium in the tissue is protective of anthracnose, and below two percent is uh, puts annual bluegrass at risk of uh, freeze uh, freeze kill, you know, low temperature kill. So uh, if you just look at soil testing. Uh, if you say ignore tissue testing, you just look at soil testing as a way to just apply nutrients to supply, to meet the nutrient demand, I think you miss some of those other more nuanced or more detailed uh, opportunities. Um, and, And so I think, I, I agree. I, I, I am not here to say tissue testing is going to uh, be useful in determining how much fertilizer you need to apply. So I, I like the MLSN approach to figuring out how much nutrients to apply. I also like a ratio approach where we know how much we're removing and we can just use the ratios to know how that those ratios are going to change your soil levels. But I guess what I'm saying is. Uh, for the people that are hobbyists or interested or love data, and I know there's a lot of them out there. You can collect your tissue levels for a long time, do nothing about it. And then maybe when when uh, some research comes out, you'll be able to contextualize those findings with uh, with your historical records. And then maybe even adjust your fertilizer timings to, to try to influence. Because we know fertilizer timing has a strong influence on tissue levels. So that's kind of a my rebuttal to the... Um, to the to why we should maybe think about doing it.
0: Okay, Wow, We've got turf truth in here too. Awesome. Um, so uh, thank you, Doug. I think this is a perfect time to to uh, break our conversation and start answering some of the questions here. I'm gonna scroll back to uh, Fred Astroms. I think the first question that I saw is from Fred Astrom. And he said, he, he asks us, he says a lot of clubs in the USA do weekly tissue testing and fine tune the fertilizer spray program using this thoughts. Um, Micah thinks that that is ridiculous. Yeah, I I agree. Okay. So, yeah. So um, you can look at my blog for some of the reasons why I think that is ridiculous, but basically you can think of, uh, tissue testing in that way—it's like a post-mortem type of analysis. You're looking at something that's already happened, and what you want to do, I think, is manage going forward, not so much managing what, well, it was last week. And there's all kinds of, basically, there's a huge problem with cause and effect there because you you are—if you're just trying to hit these numbers—and And you're making a pretty big assumption about those numbers being related to something, something that you actually care about because we damn sure don't care about managing tissue levels at optimum, uh, ranges that that's not what the objective of turf grass management is. It's to create a surface. And so you have to have a connection of the nutrients, the the leaf nutrient content has to be related to turf grass performance and i don't think that that is um, proven right i mean you have to get way out of the range yeah so um do you have any additional comments
1: no i think you know that that's the point that mike and i agree on is that there's that we don't know we don't understand that the, the find details of target tissue levels enough to be able to make fertilizer decisions. It's not worth the money. It's, it's pseudoscience. I would say the only thing I like about the Collect it weekly is boy, you sure have a large database now of, of, of <laughs> where the ranges are and, uh, and that, that may be useful down the road. Yeah.
0: I, I've heard that some of that weekly testing is done with NIRS, which is, um, those numbers are basically just random so yeah. it's like if you it's put good for nitrogen you, but it's, it's yeah for it's, the it's other questionable element.
1: for everything else yeah
0: there there will be a positive correlation but it's not even anywhere close to exact you have tremendous amount of error in there and so when you're doing it that way to me it's like trying to chase something that's uh, from a uniform distribution f- generated by from a random number generator so it's like that it's it's not the way that I would manage, and that's why I think it's ridiculous,
1: yeah
0: all right i'm gonna I love all of this these comments uh dr daniel Hahn i I'm not quite following your comment about why Sturf would disagree. Maybe you could elaborate on that um you've got another comment where you said, could we do fertilizer planning without any lab numbers, track, uh, track growth rate alone to control N with clipping volume. Yes, uh, yes. I, I I think so, and that's it's very similar to the precision uh, uh, fertilization approach of um, uh I just think that if you only do precision fertilization or demand driven fertilization and you apply every nutrient in the ratio that it's expected to be in healthy turf grass leaves if you have ample amounts in the soil then guaranteed you're over applying and so i think if you combine a soil test with that then uh, i think it has the potential to be more efficient but certainly we can do without lab numbers it's just In in a rich soil, in a nutrient rich soil, this approach uh, by tracking growth rate alone um, is going to overapply. Okay. I'm going to pick a nice one for, yeah. Now we got Turf Truth. What is Turf Truth asking about? Micah, we infer you are thinking of turf truth. I'm um, sorry. I am thinking of turf truth. We. Who, who are those people? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Um, yeah. I I mean, so the comment is, we infer you are thinking of tissue testing as a means to enhance turf performance. We are not there yet. If we know what normal is, then it can be used to identify a potential risk factor. Yeah, I, I mean, I want to use uh, data as decision-making tools, and so for me, it's just not appealing to encourage turfgrass managers to collect a lot of data and and say you might be able to use this as a as a decision-making tool in the future. And I'm just like, man, we can manage without it. Let's just let's just forget it. Let you know. Unless you're one of the guys that really likes data and you want to spend a hundred dollars or a couple hundred dollars a year getting some tissue normal data, go for it. Go for it. But I'm not going to recommend that. I mean, I might in the future when I learn more and realize that it is valuable, I will change my change my tune. Um, I don't. I don't want to recommend it to everybody in the world.
1: Yeah, that's. Oh fair. right. I think. You know from the research perspective, that's we're always looking at these things. We know that tissue levels can be useful for determining or as a guide, there's just not enough research to apply it globally. So, I think like uh, the Rutgers example that I gave is a situation where tissue testing is going to be more valuable for you because that research already exists. Um, if you're doing seashore past palum, uh, and I, I pull that out because I've never seen any tissue thresholds for it on seashore paspalum, then what can you do? It's kind of worthless. But if somebody uh, does some research, you might find that that you'd be happy that you have that database. But keep, yeah,
0: keep I... your, keep your potassium up. Seashore paspalum has uh, often will have a one-to-one ratio of nitrogen to potassium.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It's, I've been doing some research on this because I've been getting in uh, uh, arguments. I I put some air quotes up there, but, uh, I've I've been talking about this for a while, and I realize that a lot of people want to read so much into these tissue test numbers, and I think they're reading way too much into it. So I keep saying, no, no, no. Uh, you know, four four reasons why I don't like tissue testing for turf grass and stuff. But meanwhile, I am. Doing a lot of research on this myself, trying to understand it better, and especially to make sure I'm not giving bad advice. Because, uh, and so I, I pay close attention to what Doug has to say about this, and I, yeah, I agree.
1: I, yeah, I'd say I, you know, the thing that we both agree on is don't chase numbers, right? So, like my, I have that's the soil potassium study that I've been running for over a decade now, to keep my soil levels. Uh, at or above mlsn i have to apply um one over a pound of potassium k2o per month to keep it above mlsn so that's not sustainable or efficient so what i've done is i've kind of created my own database of where that where it's okay for that system to be in this case this is an example of where uh no not using soil tests to guide fertilization would actually be the better strategy and just put down the 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 k that you remove which would be like i don't know two tenths of a pound a month or maybe you know three tenths of a pound a month um but if you're chasing the mlsn number like it's some magical thing where your turf performance is going to improve then you're doing it wrong right and so that's the same with tissue testing it's the same with soil testing just having a Having a history of when your turf is good, when it looks good, what those numbers are, uh, can give you confidence in in interpreting the numbers, just like soil moisture. And I know you definitely highlighted the flaw in that argument, but you know if I stick this, the moisture probe in, you know what that number means relative to the range of moisture conditions on your bank green.
0: Yep. With the, the soil water content, and we can um, get an estimate of that from a soil moisture meter, that has a very direct impact on turf grass performance and turf grass growth rate. And um, I, I think so- soil nutrient levels and leaf uh, nutrient levels, it's, it's much more difficult to make that connection. And um, so it's a nice analogy. But when I'm trying to argue against tissue testing, then I, I point out where there's a difference all right um i'm gonna go down let's see this is a good one i'll let you answer this one from tebow what do you respond to course managers saying greenkeeping is more an art than a science so we've got two scientists here and i don't know that i've heard your answer to this one how how what do you say to that
1: yeah, of, of course it is, and and I think what what I try to do is every day take the art out of it a bit, which sounds sounds a little pessimistic, but yeah, uh, it is right. And I think irrigation is probably the best example of that. Uh, there's a lot of irrigation theory out there, but if you've ever worked on a golf course and tried to apply water, you know it's an art form. So uh, w- what we've been doing, Micah, uh, I, everybody in the turfgrass research field, has been trying to take the take it and move it more into a science. But yeah, there's going to be elements of that forever. Um, But yeah, I always like to see more science, but cannot deny that there's an art form to it.
0: So that is an excellent answer. Thank you. I think you, you mentioned in the podcast uh, with Frank that was released last week that uh, you really like providing more software and tools that people can use and i think a lot of the science can be a starting point and then greenkeepers can apply the art so that's for that's the way that i look at it a lot of things that we work on and and study about we're trying to give better starting point estimates about when you might need to apply nitrogen again how much nitrogen you should apply how frequently you need to mow that sort of thing that's all an art but it's easier to make really good art if you're working with the right tools. And I think where, where science comes in is providing some of those tools and that's where we just keep trying to make them better and better. That's my, my answer to that one. Um, Fred is asking some more. Fred Astrom is asking about tissue sampling to help, predict and prevent disease and determine fungicide applications. I think uh, the two things that come to my mind are the potassium in autumn with bank grass and snow mold and the potassium in summer and and anthracnose. And those are the specific cases. Right, Doug?
1: Yeah, I would say um, Paul Koch's done some work on nitrogen and dollar spot but it's because the threshold levels seem to be above the agronomic Mm -hmm. uh, range that that's not as useful but yeah there's a few there's a few examples
0: yeah it's there's a and keep in mind that these are done at at generally at single locations so you're talking about a single soil type and a single micro environment and so we can we can expect that that's the way it may be. But because of the variability in tissue nutrient levels, even with different uh, varieties of the same species that, that might be there, then you start to wonder can we directly apply these numbers from some of these research trials, which is why it goes back to what Doug was saying. Uh,
1: have you, your own data set. Yeah, yeah
0: have, so have your own data set so you can let, adjust.
1: Yeah, let's talk about snow mold. So, we, uh, with Dave Moody's data on, on annual bluegrass. <clears throat> I have data from Wisconsin. Micah, I think you have data from, um, you were the first person to make that observation. So, if we can't say what a tissue threshold is, I think all the data would agree that high tissue potassium will likely give more snow mold pressure than low. So what does that mean? Well, if you have a data set going back 5 years and you have 15 samples, uh you have you know what high and low mean in your context. And it's likely it's an art form at this point, but you want to be going into fall lower for you than than higher.
0: All right. Um let's see. I'm I'm there's so many uh so many comments. Yeah, I'm trying to, to. Do you see all of them, or do you just see what's on the screen, Doug? Do you see them?
1: I, I see all of them. Yeah, but I, okay. I have a hard time keeping up here.
0: Yeah, so I'm just trying to scroll through. John, yeah. Thank, thank you for that. I've, I've just disabled the logo. I that was blocking some of the comments, I, and that's not, no fun. Okay. Daniel Hahn has another question. He says, moving towards a precision approach, could we measure soil levels on one green and then sample the growth rate of all other greens to have an indication how much they vary? From that data, could we develop a precision fertilizer plan? I think with all of these things, we're just trying to estimate kind of a mass balance. So if you, uh, if, if the, I like to test more than one green for soil nutrient levels because it does vary a bit, because if you have a green that has been growing more, it will tend to have lower nutrient levels. Um, so I'd like to, like to measure a few greens at least, and then, if you sample the growth rate, then you can estimate what the range of harvest is, and that i mean that's that's what I do when i'm when I'm calculating this, and that's what I recommend people do, but I would go rather than one green I would do I usually do six I like to do thirty three percent of the greens. What do you think, Doug? anything to add to that?
1: yeah, I think. I think you I agree with what you said. You when when I think about this stuff, I think about what was the annual removal and and how much should I put back? And then I use soil testing to say, yeah, I removed 2 pounds, but my soil has so much phosphorus that I'm not going to put any back because there's plenty of phosphorus in the in the soil. Okay.
0: Fred says Fred would like to hear the difference between near infrared and wet chemistry tissue testing. Um, Doug, do you know the? Can you describe that?
1: Yeah, I mean, wet chemistry is the gold standard. It's it's it it tells you exactly what nutrients were in that sample. So you, you basically dissolve. You take grass, you dissolve it in acid, and then you run that solution through a machine that measures the atoms. Um, very very precise near infrared shines light on us on a intact sample and then measures the the light that's reflected and then infers nutrient values from the light that's reflected that's pretty crazy it's like a it's like a form of like superpower vision where you're looking the machine's looking at the grass and then telling you how it is so the reason it's good for nitrogen is cuz nitrogen is associated with big proteins and things that absorb light in a certain way whereas like potassium and phosphorus are not quite like that so there's a there's a lot of research i think um uh even even in the turf field that looks at correlations between near infrared and wet chemistry and find kind of what i said is that you get a fairly good relationship good nir is a good predictor of wet chemistry for nitrogen but pretty poor almost random for some of those other nutrients that we care about so it's inexpensive. The, the deta- it's quick and easy. That's the advantage, but the accuracy lags behind.
0: Thank you. Yes, it's. Uh, I don't see a reason to use near infrared unless you're just looking at nitrogen, because I'm. The, you're talking about margins of error for the other elements like phosphorus and potassium that might be plus or minus. Uh, a percent or something close to a percent so you're looking at a boundary like if you get a a, let's say it returns um you know 1.7 percent potassium it could be 2.5 to 1.3 or something and you're like wow that's that's a wide range (laughs) but if you see the number on the report it looks like it's real but it it's it's not actually measured it's it's from a Regression equation that is has a very low um, correlation coefficient. All right, Corey's asking about Corey Almac is asking about sodium and chloride. Um, yeah, I just don't see that as a big problem. I'm I'm not looking at those specifically. I'm looking at salinity, and so I'm going to measure the if I have salinity issues. I'm not looking at what's coming into the plant. I'm going to look at Um, the salinity content of the irrigation water I'm gonna look at the salinity of the soil and I'm not definitely not going to be looking at tissue testing I think that then by the time you it in the tissue it's too late so I would be wanting to manage that before um, like I don't want to have high sodium or chloride in the in the leaves now Of course, with all these things, there's just not been hardly any research about it, so it may be that there's some technique that you can use that you track sodium, and all of a sudden that gives you a brilliant answer, but uh, I'm not aware of that. All right. Eric's got a great question. Eric Johnson said, is there tissue data that would infer optimal levels for the various turf species
1: do you want do you want me to go first to that
0: yes please
1: okay so i think the the danger is the same with soil testing you don't want to think about an optimal level you want to think about a bracket of of normal uh uh and michael probably disagree with the bracket for soil testing or you know if you're at mlsn we know you're good if you're below it you might be good, but it's better to be above it. Uh, so, f- what I would think, Eric, is that um, there's not a specific optimal, but you you can, but you will know for different species what a reasonable range is under conditions. So, certainly, like bent grass growing in, uh, in an unmowed condition is going to have different ranges than a bent grass green. So that's what, why it gets specific, but it and why I recommend individuals. That are interested, build that database, and then after five years, you'll look back and see, oh yeah, my bentgrass is always between three and five percent nitrogen, and it's always between one and two percent uh, K. And then when you go forward, if you do have a problem that you're interested in, and you find yep, the nitrogen potassium were where we expect. Let's move on and try to identify a different problem. So, don't have enough data for for those databases and those different management scenarios, um, and we certainly don't know enough about like 2.3% is the right amount of potassium or something like that. We just talk in, in general brackets right now.
0: Um, I I've been working on this because I get a chance to um, not so much poa, but uh, bent grass, Bermuda grass. I've been interested in zoysia because I was doing some tissue testing with zoysia and the numbers come back crazy low like uh, 0.8 0.9 percent potassium and then you're like okay is that is that normal or is that deficient so I've been looking at that um, just uh, sampled as part of a Thailand survey project we collected uh, samples from 10 or 11 different zoysia greens just kind of trying to see what's normal and um, yeah hopefully uh, I will be able to share some of this and I think other people are doing this. Travis Shaddock started doing that yep. in Florida.
1: Yep. And then I say don't
0: that. and I don't know um but the data that was shared there was for nitrogen and I'm not sure how much that project is continuing, but there needs to be more data about what's normal and then you can compare your results to to what's normal. We've got another Turf truth comment. Low tissue K has been shown to be a risk factor for anthracnose. MLSN may increase potassium to two percent, or it may not. Tissue testing would confirm this. Yes, it would. I, I, uh, so I just think small plot research from a single soil type it we can use that as a starting point but i'm not sure how far we can extrapolate that so i'm i'm always uh, a little bit cautious yeah i'm i'm just not sure that can can you duplicate those results if if you go run that experiment in lexington kentucky right so yeah, go right. Go to a pole green in Lexington, Kentucky. Is the tissue is it is it going to be two percent or not? And
1: here's here's my take on that. And 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 so I think the, the solution to this problem is it in the Rutgers sample instead of saying two to three percent, you you see that their range spanned one to three, and between two and three, anthracnose was low, and below between one and two percent, uh, anthracnose was high. So just now take that it's split right down the middle and say low and high so so if you have different ranges your your upper end and your lower bound are different it's still probably a biological phenomenon that the potassium is influencing the disease so whether or not the you're not trying to chase 2% or above you're trying to say I want to be near the top of my normal range whatever it is to minimize anthracnose and i want to be near the bottom of my normal range to minimize microdochium patch mm-hmm. not and i agree with you 100 percent that those ranges may not be transferable in terms of percentages but if you have your database you can say generally we know potassium protects against anthracnose and low potassium is protective against snow mold and you're defining low and high based on your lows and highs
0: that is an advanced greenkeeping right there. Yeah, I, I can't argue with it. I, I, I think that problem often solves itself. Because if you realize I've got POA, I, I have some risk of anthracnose, I'm going to make sure that I apply potassium. So again, I'm just like, okay, I don't need to test the tissue. Because uh, I'm going to make sure that I don't have an issue. Um, where I'm like, if if we start focusing on these numbers so much uh, from somebody else's experiment, I, I do think that, yeah, the way to go for the future is do the tests for ourselves. Um, I mean, do the, the site-specific testing so we know what's normal for our site. And we can use that research from Rutgers, for example, to say that... Uh, we can interpret that as potassium is important. We don't want to have a potassium deficiency. But I'm always hesitant to say that's our target number. Okay. Carl says soil was correlated in that study yeah that so that's basically what carl says is is that is it reasonable to take Micah's route of soil sampling providing that same conclusion that that's for me it's simpler to just do soil and and especially be looking at not so much relying on the soil but just making sure that we're supplying 100% of plant use so now we're going back to something like the sturf precision fertilization approach when we have i don't really I don't really care about the soil or the tissue in the case of an anthracnose risk situation for Poa annua. I just want to make sure that during the summer, the grass has enough potassium. So I'm probably might just apply a hundred percent of plant use. Um, and again, I, I just not sure where tissue testing adds, adds a lot. Yeah. We're just going to keep going around in circles about this because it's like, yeah, if you want to do it, yeah, You know <laughs>
1: what? I guess here's a, here's a little um, comment about what you just said there, though. Is if we're trying to do harvest, have, knowing what your average is over the year is going to help you more accurately uh, estimate harvest. Mm-hmm. You'd agree with that, right? Yep. So, but... so maybe it's a little expensive for you to do it that way, but um, we know precisely what our average nitrogen removal is at the OJ-NOR because we have a bunch of bentgrass tissue samples and same thing with P and K. So instead of just taking the textbook ranges or the average proportions, you can sort of customize your, your removal rates? Uh,
0: I think it's going to be able to be predicted based on what's normal, because I think it, um, like you know about regression to the mean. And so I think there's a lot of variability yeah, over the season and just with the way turf is managed, but it, it fluctuates and i i think that over the course of a season as far as removal and harvest goes i i am optimistic that when researchers generate more data about what's normal that that's going to apply to uh golf courses too so i think people will be able to use those normal levels And just say okay i i had this many clippings this is what my harvest was i think that's going to be good enough and i think it's going to be basically correct i'm optimistic about that so what i mean is like if you had a hundred different golf courses all collecting their tissue data to measure what the the nutrient levels were they would all come back uh, over time to be quite similar that's 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 my prediction. I, I might be wrong. We end up dealing with so many splendid comments and questions that we don't get a uh, conversation. That this is perfect. How's your time? Do you have ten more minutes? Fifteen more but, minutes?
1: Yeah, I've about ten minutes I have to run to another meeting.
0: Okay. Let's so let's try to blast through these as much as we can. Uh We've got a question from LinkedIn about all the data we talk about is POA or bentgrass. Do we have some data about ryegrass? I don't because I've mostly been looking at putting greens and there's not a lot of ryegrass putting greens. Um, there is, as I mentioned, one of the reasons why I don't like tissue testing is because there's no reference data. <laughs> um,
1: And the reason I'm advocating it is so we can have reference data, right? So how about we just send out an email uh, or a Twitter post, hey, ryegrass field managers, um, send me your data, and then we can tell people what averages are for all the ryegrass fields, um, and maybe that would be useful. All
0: right, wow. Um, hmm. Randy Berger, here's a question. Randy Berger's got a question about organic matter accumulation from top dressing with compost. Is that a concern in summer with nitrogen mineral- mineralization on cool season lawn turf? i'm I'm going to say, just be aware. Of how much compost you're applying because you could apply so much compost that it stimulates the growth rate too much um, but otherwise adding compost is going to be good and and having more organic matter is generally better especially on a on a lawn
1: yeah I mean the, the thing about compost is all the easy accessible nitrogen is mostly gone so that's what happens during the composting process is the the microbes really go to town on the nitrogen and carbon and what's left is fair it's not inert but it's fairly inert so we've done we've applied at very high rates of compost in our research studies and if sure we definitely see increased growth but it's never been to the point where it's excessive um you're gonna you're gonna kill the grass from shading it With your compost application before you're gonna you're gonna damage it from nitrogen mineralization from from compost because composting takes away that quick soluble nitrogen
0: thank you doug let's see you're feeding your soil with um Thiebaud asks, what do you think about feeding your soil with top dressing, sand mixed with organic matter, and that way you can reduce fertilizer, especially potassium and phosphorus? That is wonderful. The only concern would be physical properties. So generally now we would be concerned about water infiltration. So it just depends what type of uh, material you're putting over an existing material. Um, It's... It seems a wonderful way to manage and to feed your soil, uh, so long as it doesn't cause a problem with physical properties. And we're almost to the end of the comments, I think. Turf Truth, thank you for joining us, Turf Truth. We're looking forward to um, your next series of videos when you do Season 2. All right. Although we argue tissue testing is valuable, so that's that's from turf truth. They also do not advocate widespread use unless a normal is known excellent okay i I agree with that i I would just say that tissue testing is valuable, especially for research and i don't I just don't see how we use it how how a turf manager uses those data other than just doing a little site specific research project, which I know some people are into that. But I, I think there's so many things that can go wrong with uh, making decisions based on tissue testing and turf truth hits on that about uh, it's likely to result in excess nutrient applications. And so yeah, we end up all agreeing about this.
1: I'm thinking about my, um, if you go on my Twitter account, my pinned tweet uh, will be my Twitter soil test philosophy, and this is a way that that I think about this. If your soil test says your nutrient levels are adequate, then they are. I've never seen a soil test that said things are adequate and they weren't. Do you agree with that, Micah?
0: Yeah, right. That I've I've never seen one that said it was adequate and they weren't. I that's correct.
1: If your soil test says nutrients are deficient but the grass looks good, then the soil test is wrong.
0: I've never brought myself around to like that tweet, but it has a lot of likes and and a lot of people <laughs> like it. The the reason why uh is because um the soil test is looking at things that have not happened yet and if the grass is growing rapidly i think your soil test soil tests should be should be interpreted not as is your soil fine or not it should be interpreted as how do we use this data to find how much fertilizer we should we should apply so it's technically right that your soil is fine but you might need to apply fertilizer at some point in the future. That's how I want to make use of it. So for me, that's just a little bit too trite, a little bit too feel good. And and Fair. so that's why I haven't liked that. <laughs> I'll, but I'll,
1: but I'll, you're I'll right. Right. Well, and and <laughs> I guess my argument is that <laughs> the, if we change like MLSN, almost all of my research greens are below P and K levels for MLSN. And so, and I, I, I know that they might run out of PNK in the future, but I'm comfortable being below the MLSN guideline because because of my knowledge of that system. All right. Mm-hmm. Fair point though. Uh, and then here's the the third part where I mentioned tissue testing. If the soil test says nutrients are deficient and your grass looks bad, do a tissue test. And so that's where like that's where I think having a database of what you can look back on. And so we don't know a lot of times when we see a problem with the grass, we don't know what it is. It's usually not nutrients, but it's nice to confirm that. So then you, you take a sample of bad grass, soil test says it's low in calcium. But if we look and, um, at the tissue levels, we see that the calcium levels are at or above historical averages, above textbook ranges, whatever. And then we can say, Hey, it's probably not calcium. Let's move on to trying to figure out what this is.
0: That's a excellent approach. I, yeah. How many likes does that tweet have now? Hundreds? I
1: don't know. No, only seventy one.
0: Oh, okay. I mean, well, I'm not
1: even not even into the triple digits yet.
0: Well, everybody, um let me let me show you uh Doug's Twitter handle. You just, he needs more followers. It's, I need more likes. It's DJ Soldat. He needs more <laughs> followers, more likes. And he he doesn't tweet a huge amount, but when he does, it really hits hard. It's um it's it's very good content. So I recommend following him. That's and, kind, thank you. You can also follow me. I'm at Asian Turfgrass, but I tweet about grass around the world. So you can follow me at Asian Turfgrass. But so the best thing to do uh, is go to AsianTurfgrass.com. If you go to AsianTurfgrass.com, you can sign up to my newsletters to get my blog by email or see other channels that I have for providing turfgrass information. Because no matter, um, I, I don't know, for some reason, I just keep uh, producing more and more things because I have a passion for communicating about turf grass. Let's see how it's... Well, we're going to come to an end because Doug's going to go to another meeting. I've got some things to do. Um, all right. Well, that's good. Thanks, everybody who joined in the chat and asked so many good questions. Doug, thank you so much for joining me. In the office hours, to um, yeah discuss this thing that we kind of agree about, but we kind of disagree about. I yeah I
1: I think I, we did a really good job of of clarifying for for everybody what we actually disagree on. So and it which isn't very much. So I I love the opportunity to talk with you because you make sure that whatever my thoughts are they they have to be. My arguments have to be tight when I when I talk to Micah because you're you I love the, I love the perspective you bring so it was really it was a, it was cool. awesome to be well, part of that. Thank
0: you, and I love that uh, you uh, have made me think more about the MLSN recommendations and whether that is systematically over recommending and possibly causing problems uh, because of the research that you do that just shows you can go year after year with phosphorus and and potassium below mlsn and so i start to think about looking at the soil test trends over time and implementing some correction for that 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 gets even more site-specific and so um with doug and i when we meet in person we probably agree even more than when we're talking here in the office hours by a, a video call um but the very subtle things, the very little things that we are are disagreeing about or that we think differently about can help both of us to improve the way that we think about these topics and hopefully provide some useful tools for turfgrass managers to make their jobs a bit more fun, a bit easier, and have better grass. So thanks everybody for joining. Thanks Doug. I'm going to go ahead and end the live stream now and i will be back another time with uh, another exciting guest hopefully you'll join me again we can maybe we'll talk soil testing next time
1: you never know that's great thanks michael
0: all right thanks bye-bye everybody